Take out your Bibles. Let's go ahead and head out to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. And when you get there, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. Love that sound. Verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The way of the slothful man is, an, is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son, Dan, maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak from your word. Thank you for this church, Lord, this wonderful, wonderful church, Lord, that we get to serve and to be a part of, Lord. Uh, help me as I go through this message. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so how are things going in your family these days? Now, if things are going well right now for your family, then praise the Lord. But all families have problems from time to time, and that certainly includes Christian homes. God wants to help us. He wants to help us have happier homes. God wants to help all of us have better lives. So let's work, look into his word and see how to get there. My first point this evening is to remember to rejoice in the Lord. Solomon points out the value of God-given joy in verse 13. There the wise king says this, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow the heart of the spirit is broken. A merry heart here means a glad, gleeful, rejoicing heart. Generally speaking, God wants his followers to be cheerful. He wants us to have his inward joy that shows up on the outside too. You see, it's good to smile and it's good to laugh for the right reasons. And it's good for us. A publication called Executive Digest once reported on a study on how laughter affects people. They found that laughter has an instant effect on almost every important organ in our bodies. Laughter reduces unhealthy tensions, it relaxes the tissues, it also exercises our most vital organs. It helps us both mentally and physically. So often we need to have a good laugh. But we also need to keep our sense of humor. I can see the Lord's sense of humor in Mark's report of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 45. And this is the account shortly after he, uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. So verse 45, he says, uh, the book says, In straightaway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Now, in John's account of, the, uh, of what went on here in chapter 16, verse 9, he tells us what happened after the disciples had gone out to sea. They'd rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs. So in our measurement, 
that's about three or four miles. So to put that in perspective, how far they rode out, if you go out to Airport Way, and if you went all the way to the bus yard over on Louise, that's three and a half miles. So if, if you get a chance, if you look out the road, see if you can see the bus yard. Probably can't, but that's how far those 12 rode out. So verse 48, and he saw them three miles away, toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them. So in Matthew's account of, the, of what went on, um, it tells us that the boat was in the middle of the sea. It was tossed by wind-driven waves. And the fourth watch of the night translates to about three, between three and six o'clock in the morning. So the middle of the night, pitch black. There's no streetlights, no nothing. So with all that in mind, back again to Mark 6.48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. That part, picture the scene, right? It's the middle of the night, it's the middle of the sea, middle of a big storm. Jesus came walking on the sea and would have passed by them. Probably would have waved and smiled at the, at the 12 in the boat, right? That points out a sense of humor. Mark went on to say in verse 49, and when they saw him, walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit and cried out. They didn't specifically know if it was Jesus or not, but they just freaked out. And when they all saw him, were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Then he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. So just before he calmed that storm down, Jesus said, be of good cheer. The Lord said that because he wanted them and us to have his joy in our hearts. That's also why Jesus told his followers this in John chapter 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen. The Apostle Paul knew this great truth. When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippian Christians, he had been a prisoner of Rome. He'd been bound in chains probably for as long as four years. Paul's only crime was telling the truth about Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, tells us that Paul almost had sorrow upon sorrow when one of his friends had come close to death. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul could have been filled with bitterness, but he overflowed with the joy of the Lord. And we can too. That's why Philippians 4.4 tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There, Paul is telling us, remember to rejoice in the Lord. So when we think about who Jesus Christ is and all that he has done for us, it's astounding that we have to be reminded to rejoice in the Lord. But Paul stressed rejoicing seven times in that short letter. So church, our hands, they're not in chains today, and we are blessed far more than most people in the world. But if all that were to be taken away, we would still have grace, we'd still have heaven, we would still have Jesus. So remember to rejoice in the Lord. 
We can't always rejoice in our health or our looks or our hairline. <laughs> we always can't rejoice in our finances or our family or our jobs or our grades or houses or cars or whatever. But we can always rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Jesus wants to give us that merry heart that maketh a cheerful countenance. And that will definitely help us to have a better life and a happier home. So remember to rejoice in the Lord. My second point, focus your fear on the Lord. It may seem strange, but one of the most important things we need to have for a better life and for a happier home is a healthy fear of the Lord. That's what Solomon stressed in verse 16 of our text tonight, when he said, better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and the trouble therewith. Solomon was talking about a holy and reverent fear towards God, and that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's the kind of fear that we all need. Revelation 5.5 says, describes the Lord as that he's the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. But you might think like, so, but isn't God our friend? And yes, he is. He's the best friend that we'll ever have. John 15, 13 tells us that Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. God is merciful, compassionate, and kind, but at the same time, he's holy, he's sovereign, He's the almighty God of the whole universe, and he's not to be trifled with. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, gives this caution to believers. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. It's no wonder that we should have a holy reverence for God, and Solomon said, better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. You see, fear of the Lord is a good thing. It helps us understand what matters in life, and it helps us to have the right priorities. Fear of the Lord doesn't crush our spirits. It puts us on the right path. It doesn't hurt us. It helps us. Godly fear doesn't blot out the mercy of, the, of God. It helps us see how much we need his mercy. So this godly fear will help us to have a better life and a happier home. So focus your fear on the Lord. Point number three is to live in godly love. So if we look again in verse 17, Solomon tells us about the better life and the wise king there said, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox with hatred therewith. I'm gonna park it for a little bit here. So first off, if we look at this, Solomon's words here are just really descriptive. We look at a stalled ox, first off. Stalled ox, you think like, what is that? Is that like a stalled Chevy? Like, no. <laughs> stalled ox means an ox in a stall, the fatted ox, like the best one. It sits, it's sitting and waiting, waiting for what? Waiting to be devoured, right? So Amy and I, a few weeks, uh, well, a few days ago, we had a birthday trip for her over in um, Morgan Hill. And one of the stops that we had was a barbecue place. Good, but come on, it's right. So we, did, we were strategic, right? So we did like the two-piece two combo. Like, okay, well, honey, I'll order this and this, and then you get this and this, two different, and then we'll be like a four-piece combo, right? <laughs> and the cool thing is that, you know, you can have it for, for lunch the next day. So it's like bonus, like two meals and four-piece combo. But I went ahead and had like a tri-tip and pulled pork, and then Amy had chicken and brisket. And I, I, I like pork. I'm Filipino. I love pork. Chicken's all right, but man, beef, right? Beef on the grill, that's the best. So think of all the products, all the wonderful things that you can get from the fatted, stalled ox. 
right? Beef ribs and steaks and hamburgers. Oh, man, I, I could go on. I could go on. Now, the total, like here in the verse, a dinner of herbs. And you think like at first thought, dinner of herbs, it's a bowl of salad. No, dinner of herbs. Show of hands, how many of you have like either grown your own herbs or purchased fresh herbs from the store? All right, so you, so you know what herbs look like. And for those of you who don't think about a bowl, herbs, at its very basic description, sticks and leaves. It literally is, sticks and leaves. So here you go, here's your bowl of sticks and leaves. There's your dinner, hope you're happy. Right, it couldn't, it's not even, it's like less than a salad. So those two contrasts that Solomon puts, stalled ox, steak, bowl of sticks and leaves. They, they couldn't be further from each other, right? And yet he says here, these two, these two feelings, these emotions, love and hatred, better to have that bowl of sticks and twigs for dinner where love is than to have the stalled ox, the fatted calf, where there's hatred. Very, very descriptive. You'd, I, I, got, I was guilty of passing by, but man, when you slow down and read God's word, it really opens up things. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians 13, a favorite of weddings and greeting card companies. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a great description of the kind of love God wants us to have, and that's charity or agape love. That's why we keep the word charity there. It's very specific. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not. Itself is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. God raises the bar on love. He calls us to the highest kind of love. God calls us to his kind of patient, unselfish, forgiving, sacrificial love. It's the kind of love we see best on the cross of Jesus Christ, the kind of love that he's willing to pay the price for us. So church, we can love like that because we have the spirit of Christ living in our hearts. As Romans 5.5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us. This godly love will help us to have a happier home. So live in godly love. My fourth point tonight is to also act to overcome your anger. This is Solomon's message to us in verse 18, where he says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. That word appeaseth there means to give quiet, tranquility, peace, or rest. God wants us to be at peace with one another, and hot tempers get in the way. Now, there's a such thing as righteous indignation, and that's what we, and we see that in the Lord. But most of our anger, our anger, comes from the opposite direction. That's why Solomon warns us here, and the New Testament also does the same thing in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where the word of God says, Wherefore, my beloved children, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. A wise man once said, for that worn out feeling, carry a grudge all day, you know? <laughs> How can we lay this burden down? How do we get out of the anger trap? One of the greatest keys is forgiveness. 
Listen to this guidance from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to another, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. To get out of the anger trap, we mean to forgive one another, just as God in Christ also forgave us. But we also need to restrain our angry tongues. Solomon showed this truth back up in verse 1 of chapter 15, where he says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So it took me a while to learn this and still trying to practice this, but just because I think something doesn't mean I need to say it, right? So you might think like, hey, Brother Dan, like in the heat of the moment, I, my mouth just goes. I can't control it, right? So what do I do? But my thing is like, yeah, you can. And here's how. Like, you there you are in the middle of absolute turmoil, right? Just things going crazy. Like, Ben, finish the dishes. Dan, pick up your socks. Joe and Jen, stop fighting, right? And then you're just screaming. You're mad. You're hopping mad. And then the phone rings. Oh, hi, Mom. How are you doing? Good to hear from you. It can be done. You can control your tongues. It's, it's a choice. We can act to overcome our anger, and that will definitely give us better lives and happier homes. So act to overcome your anger. My fifth point, final point, is to also walk in the wisdom of God's word. Walking in wisdom basically sums up everything we've been talking about this evening. But how do we walk in godly wisdom? Verse 14 tells us not to feed on foolishness. There King Solomon said, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. So don't feed on foolishness. That's a really important advice today, especially in the age of social media and the internet. Oh, yeah. You know, we're bombarded left and right by foolishness from like news, social media, internet, all kinds of places. So if you want to walk in wisdom, don't feed on the foolishness. But even so, there's more for us here in the word of God than what the world has to offer. So for example, listen to what Solomon said in verses 19 through 24. The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. There's a lot of wisdom here for us in God's word. In fact, God gives us a lifetime supply of wisdom right here in the Bible. Wisdom that can give us a better life, Wisdom that can give us the best life possible and a happy home. Wisdom that can make basically any situation go from dark to light. And wisdom, most of all, that can change the hardest of hearts. So with that, my short, brief message, we need to remember these things. First, remember to rejoice in the Lord. Number two, focus your fear on the Lord. Number three, live in godly love. Number four, act to overcome your anger. Number five, walk in wisdom of God's word. But above all this, the first step that we all must do 
is to repent. It's to turn all your life over to God and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will forgive all of our sins. He'll give you an everlasting home in heaven. Call on the Lord to save you right now if you don't know him as we go to God in prayer.